Hello and welcome to another A&L Good Buddy Soundbite. I'm Philip McQuestion of Council with the firm's tax group. I'm delighted to be joined by Jose Rubens Charlac. Jose is an attorney working in both Florida, USA and Sao Paulo, Brazil. He's a founding partner of Charlac Advogados and Charlac PLLC. Jose, you co-authored a recent Tax Notes article on the topic of US tax law provoking countries to introduce digital services taxes. A point that you make in your article is that while the US Treasury is expressing concern that amount A of Pillar 1 departs from longstanding tax principles, the recent US tax reform and resulting US tax legislation itself has departed from those longstanding policies. Indeed, they have indeed. So uh, just to, 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 to make this point clear, if you, if you, if you look at the so-called Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the, the so-called TCJA, which is the US tax reform in 2017, that act introduced a few, um, a few different figures from what we have been used to. One of them is the guilty tax. It's the uh, global intangible low tax income tax, which basically taxes on a current basis, which is without deferral, all of a CFC's foreign active income that escapes uh, the subpart F, which is the way uh, CFCs used to be taxed before the tax reform and they still are, but there's the guilty on top of it. Uh, so it taxes foreign active income to the extent that such income exceeds 10% of a notional return on tangible assets. It is a global tax that goes where the old rules could not go. And it also goes where the arm's length principle cannot go. So it defies traditional notions of, of international tax already. This is one. Second, second feature the TCJA brought was the FD, FDII, foreign derived intangible income, which explicitly allows a US corporation to deduct 37.5% uh, of its gross income related to sales of property including licenses and leasing to also in sales of services to foreign persons. So whenever a US corporation sells property uh, or services to a foreign person, uh, FDII kicks in and gives that entity a 37.5 deduction, which lowers the tax rate, the actual tax rate to something around 13%. Is that what, is that a state aid? Is that according to WTO rules? Not sure. Um, third feature, the so-called BEAT, which is the base erosion uh, uh, tax they, that it created. It, it, although it is said, the BEAT is said to actually uh, disallow uh, a deduction uh, at the US entity, it actually taxes the foreign entities income at a 10% rate, even though uh, it is said to actually uh, uh, dis disavow a deduction. So it, it, so it taxes the foreign entity's income as though it, as if it were a US entity, as if it were a resident in the US. So it completely defies the traditional notions of international tax. So the TCJA has provoked it. And now we are seeing these same kind of thinking permeating the OECD discussion. Why should the US be surprised since we created this new kind of thinking?
So, Jose, we have the inconsistency between the situation with the U.S. with its regulation essentially saying that if a foreign tax is going to be allowed as a foreign tax credit for U.S. purposes, that particular foreign tax must be uh, taxed on income or revenue as opposed to on sales and also be taxed under traditional principles. But on the other hand, the U.S. in relation to distant selling within the U.S., um, U.S. states themselves are actually imposing taxes on sales rather than taxes on income or revenue. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, because the U.S. was very worried about how the discussions at the OECD on amount A of Pillar 1 were progressing, and also uh, it was worried that many countries were skeptic as to whether amount A would actually become a reality and started uh, going rogue and by themselves creating those DSTs, digital services tax. Uh, the Treasury and the IRS uh, created these proposed regs according to we, uh, which introduced uh, uh, this new jurisdiction nexus requirement for a foreign tax to be regarded as an income tax and therefore be subject to the foreign tax credit. Uh, this jurisdictional nexus uh, is basically, uh, so according to the, the regs, there is jurisdictional nexus if, uh, for example, one, uh, the income is taxed, uh, uh, income tax is attributable to activities in the foreign country, but those activities, they actually encompass the traditional, no, traditional notions of function, assets, and risks allocated to that entity in that foreign country. And no, and, and, and these activities do not relate to consumers existing in that foreign country or any destination-based aspects of the activity. Uh, a second, a second point of those uh, of that jurisdictional nexus is when the the foreign tax taxes income according to source rules similar to those of the U.S. And a third, a third prong of that uh, jurisdictional nexus is when the foreign tax taxes income from sales of property that are part of a physical taxable presence in that foreign country. Those are very, very tradition. These are, these are concepts very rooted in traditional notions of international practice. On the other hand, uh, the US has been experiencing uh, this sort of debate uh, internally because we had uh, since uh, many years, companies selling remotely, companies established in one state selling to consumers in another state. And those companies did not in order to avoid a uh, 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 taxable presence in that other state, they did not, they were not physically present in that other state. And uh, we had this judicial discussion uh, brought by uh, uh, South Dakota against this company, uh, Wayfair, which was selling remotely to, cus to customers in South Dakota. And that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided that the, pre the physical presence rule uh, it's not a necessary interpretation of the nexus requirement. They use the same word, nexus requirement, although, of course, at the time, the, the, the reg did not exist. The physical presence rules, according to the Supreme Court, imposes the sort of arbitrary, and I'm, and I'm quoting here, imposes, imposes the sort of arbitrary formalistic distinction that the court's modern commerce clauses presence disavow. 
also, the Supreme Court says that a sale is attributable to its destination. And uh, this was regarding the nexus, nexus requirement. The, the Supreme Court also analyzed the issue uh, under, under the light of the due process principle. And uh, well, as to the due process requirement, Supreme Court said, although physical presence will frequently enhance a business connection with a state, it is an inescapable fact of modern commercial life that a substantial amount of business is transacted with no need for physical presence within a state where business is conducted. Finally, the court said that a physical presence requirement has come to serve as a judicially created tax shelter for businesses. And that the constitution does not forbid, therefore, the taxation of the income of the remote seller. That is to say, what the OECD is trying to do is clearly allowed by the US constitution. And you can see the clear, uh, uh, inconsistency between what the Supreme Court said in Wayfair and what the proposed reg is saying. So on the one hand, the US is saying in order for a foreign tax credit or in order for a foreign tax to qualify as a US for US foreign tax credits, uh, there's a need that um, that tax be essentially taxed in the traditional manner and be a tax on on revenue rather or income rather than on sales but the us itself internally is essentially allowing state taxation in distant selling arrangements to be levied on sales rather than income and revenue exactly and exactly and and that precedent allows a state to tax a foreign country for example, a, 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 a company in Ireland that sells re remotely to customers in the US, that, that Irish company will be taxed uh, by that state on the amount of those sales. And the US is fine with it. So why not the other way around? And uh, Jose, finally to wrap up, while I appreciate that you don't have a crystal ball, we, we all wish we had one. Given that you're practicing in the US, what are your thoughts on the new Biden administration engaging meaningfully with the OECD on the BEPS 2.0 project. I think there's a there is a there is a distinct difference between the Biden approach and the Trump approach. Trump was all about America first. You give me everything and I give you nothing. And that, that I think that clearly reflects on the TCJA. I'm taxing everything any way I can. And and, uh, and on Treasury stand that, oh no, we, are, we will not accept any kind of changes in the, the way international tax is established. We will not accept our companies to be taxed this way and so on and so forth. Biden is all about compromise. So uh, I think it is, it's reasonable. Uh, I, I'm not saying that they will jump on uh, amount A and, 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 and as you said, promote a 180, degree shift in, in foreign tax politics. But uh, I, I understand that uh, people in the Biden administration, people in Treasury, they, they can appreciate that the US has created different uh, principles in international tax and that the OECD and foreign countries, that they are only working on those new principles. So new standards are being created and uh, we're trying to reach international tax harmony uh, within those new standards. 
Thanks, Jose, for your time and for sharing your insights with us today. It's a pleasure. Anytime. Jose's article was published by Tax Notes International on the 25th of January of this year and is entitled The TCGA's Unilateral Provocation of DESTs. Thank you.